Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, a man with all the charisma of John Sherman's mustache, my brother Mike. Darn straight. Put any good mustache up there. I'm as good as all of them. All right. Uh, I don't know about as good as all of them. I think you're as good as the stuff. <laughs> Matter of fact, stuck in John Sherman's mustache. Maybe. maybe. I kind of got. I kind of got a little Sherman going right here myself. Uh, there. Yeah, not really. But all right. There's something going on on there. There's so your your eighth grade students are probably very jealous of you <laughs> with that thing. <laughs> but other than that, I think everybody else. Magnum PI is is sleeping okay. Uh, anyway, welcome back to Royals Weekly. This is yet another special episode. We we usually don't record except once a month in the off season, but the Royals are doing so many things. We thought we had to come out, make a statement, let our ideas just sit out there for you all to yell at and scream at while we, uh, while the Royals are doing a bunch of stuff, they're changing their team. They're overhauling their roster. There's a ton of excitement around the team right now. We're going to break down all the things that they've done since our last special episode when they signed Seth Lugo. If you want to hear about Seth Lugo and some of the other signings they did previously, we have already talked about them. Go listen to our previous episodes. Also make sure to follow us on Twitter Facebook, Instagram, Threads, which Mike is on, Twitter, uh, I mentioned that already, TikTok, all the others, because we're putting out a bunch of content in the, in the moment when these when news breaks on this. So uh, make sure you're, you're checking all that out too. Mike, we're going to start with the big one, the biggest one that people are talking about, the most probably with Seth Lugo, the most important signing that they've done this offseason, Michael Waka. They picked him up for essentially two years, $32 million, but the second year is a player option. What are your thoughts on what Michael Walker might bring to the Kansas City Royals and what his signing does for the team overall? Well, as long as he stays healthy, he's another reliable arm in the rotation. A guy who over the last probably three years-ish has kind of remade himself as a pitcher, going away from his fastball and going to his curveball and his changeup a lot more. Um, he's He's a solid piece in any rotation. So we talked about raising the floor of this rotation, and he certainly does that. You know, health. Hopefully, he's not the pitcher. I was I was infatuated with Michael Walker when he first came up with the Cardinals. Uh, they did kind of that classic St. Louis Cardinals thing. He was in the bullpen, kind of on and off spot starting kind of things, and he was a power arm that had a really good changeup. And but he has really changed throughout his career. That's that's not necessarily what he is anymore. He is a fly ball kind of guy. Kind of fits the park very well. But yeah, I'm excited about getting him. I'm a, I'm excited about getting him in combination with Seth Lugo because we already have Cole Reagans. And I feel like Cole Reagans is the kind of front of your rotation guy. And then these guys settle in nicely at two and three, and you could pretty much flip them however you want. Um, I think Waka, I think Waka is probably seen as a little bit better than Lugo, but I don't know that he necessarily is going to give you a whole lot different. Now he's going to strike out a little bit more people. Um, and I also like the, how he mixes up pitches. So there's a lot to like about Michael Walker in my book. Yeah, a lot to like. I, I will say that I'm, I'm being sold on the argument that we shouldn't think of Cole Reagans as the number one because he shouldn't be put in that position to, to have to sort of take the pressure of a number one in the rotation right now. And I kind of agree with that position. I think oh, yeah. let Waka or Lugo be that guy, probably Waka since he's done it so many times in his career. Let him be that number one starter in your rotation. And then Lugo and uh, Cole Reagans can slot two, three. And they he can, Reagans, who is probably the most talented and has the most ceiling of any of the pitchers, can sort of not feel the burden of being the quote unquote number one starter. But I think you're right. Waka, very interesting pitcher, a guy who fits the team pretty well. We mentioned in our previous episode when we talked about Seth Lugo, the idea was that the Royals were raising the floor of this rotation, and they were doing it by looking for guys 
who they could count on for consistency as long as they were healthy. And so Michael Waka represents that as well. A guy who limits home runs pretty well, even though he's not a ground ball pitcher, he does limit home runs pretty well, does not walk very many guys. His walk rate is well under three per nine innings. A guy who has just been a consistent starter for his entire major league career, except for that little stretch in the middle when he was hurt constantly because the Cardinals misused him, honestly. Um, but you are talking about a guy who's increasingly become a change-up first pitcher about 30 to 35% of the time with his change-up. His fastball averages around 92 to 93 now. He's not blowing guys away anymore, but super consistent. And another guy who, sitting in front of this defense, playing in this ballpark could be especially effective. You're right, Mike. Health is always a concern with pitchers. He only made like 20-some starts, only through about 130-ish innings last year. And so you'll wonder how many can he give him this year. But if he can stay healthy, I think you're he's just a perfect, reliable piece in the starting rotation for the Royals. And I'm glad that you brought up the home run rate thing because if you go through his career numbers – the years when he has really struggled, it's when that home run rate has gone up. The last three years, he's been able to decrease it consistently to where the point last year, it was under 10% home run per fly ball. So if he if he sticks with that, I think you're going to see a really good Michael Walker. The other thing I would like to see, and I put this out on threads yesterday, if you take a look at baseball savant and you look at, he, he has several pitches and he mixes them tremendously well. Uh, he does not throwing any pitch like over 50% of the time or anything like that. But his cutter is the one that is consistently hit the hardest. And so like the pitching staff did with Cole Reagans, where they, he had a cutter that was getting demolished. I would like to see them at least approach Michael Walker about possibly changing it to a slider and seeing how that works out for him. Now, not every guy, especially curveball guys and Michael Walker does have a decent curveball. Not all those guys can just pick up a slider, but I would like to see if that's a possibility because right now the cutter is not doing him a whole lot of favors. Yeah, that's a great idea. And then the cutter is his weakest pitch at this point. We'll see what he ends up blowing with it. And, and it could be, he adds a slider and that cutter gets a little better in the same way that it worked with Reagan's. Uh, he still throws the cutter occasionally. It's just his slider has sort of helped make that cutter improved because there's a distinction there because people aren't sitting that on that pitch shape. That's pretty weak with this cutter. And so, yeah, I, I think that's an excellent idea. We'll see if, if that's something Waka will attempt or approach. Uh, it makes sense to me, but it's okay if he doesn't go there. The contract itself is interesting because he could walk after this year. It could be that Michael Waka comes into 2024, has a really good 2024, or even just a solid 24, and shows people that he can stay healthy a whole year again, and he goes back on the market and gets a, a longer, more substantial deal. That is a possibility. That's the case with quite a few of the deals that the Royals made in this free agent uh, period, including the next guy that we're going to talk about, Hunter Renfro. They went out and the Royals said right from the beginning that they wanted a corner outfielder. I didn't necessarily agree with that assessment, but they decided they wanted one. And so they went out and they got their corner outfielder. They signed uh, Hunter Renfro. Uh, if you don't know who he is, he's like a power right-handed bat, uh, good arm in the outfield, not a great defender anymore because he limited athleticism out there. But so the defensive metrics do not love him defensively. He's coming off one of his worst years offensively, I would say. Uh, and one of the things that sort of concerned me, Mike, and I know you looked into this too, probably he started to struggle last year mightily against fastballs. His uh, performance against fastballs, four seam fastballs, the run value of it was something like minus six last year. And, and it took a dramatic dive. And I wonder if he's like 32 years old, I think. I wonder if this is father time catching up with him. Does the bat speed slow down? But then I also wonder, are they going to strategically use him? 
is he going to be somebody who isn't playing much against right-handers with good fastballs? He only plays maybe against left-handers with decent fastballs or just left-handers who throw le- who don't throw as hard or something like that. I think getting him into a rotation can help maximize him, but he's a guy they decided they wanted because he represented maybe more consistent offense and de- defense in the outfield. So they, they ended up getting Hunter Renfro. Mike, what do you think about that as a signing? Is it really going to move the needle much for the Royals? Well, I, I actually said this uh, the, the day that we got him. He's somewhat of a bounce-back candidate because, yeah, it, it, last year was the worst year he's put up in, in a while. He had, His ISO dipped well below 200, 183. It's been over 200 for most of his career. Um, you know, his OBP was under 300. He does take a walk, which we like. You know, he's always consistently somewhere between 7 and 10% in the walk rate. Um, but as you said, the outfield value is is less than zero at this point. And so, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think you you look more, we look less at a left lefty-righty split here. And like you said, more of a, we're going to be throwing him or hitting him against guys who don't have elite fastballs. If he doesn't have an elite fastball, Hunter Renfro is in the lineup. I, I just wonder... He seems so similar to Nelson Velasquez <laughs> that I'm like, is is he superfluous? Do we need did we need Hunter Renfro in this lineup, or could that money have gone somewhere else? That's kind of my my thing, you know. Um, I, I don't think he's a bad choice, but is a little confusing on the signing for me. Now, if they find a good place for him, if Melendez gets traded or another outfield piece gets traded, that makes a little bit more sense to me. But uh, it's a little bit of a head scratcher to me on a guy who's going to be 32 years old and just is coming off what looks like a little bit of a power depleted year. But he's not exactly like Nelson Melendez because Melendez feasts on fastballs like, or not Melendez, sorry. Velasquez. Velasquez, Velasquez fle- feasts, feasts oh, yeah, on for fastballs. Sure. Loves them. For sure. Loves a guy yeah. who throws heat. So maybe that they are a platoon. They're just a different type of platoon. One that's based on velocity yeah. and not necessarily based on righty lefty uh, and things like that. So, there are options. I think I think Renfro represents an option as a way to maximize a lineup a little bit, but they are going to have to think of it in those terms, I think. I think the best way to think about Renfro is as a player who is going to fit into an outfield rotation and not as a guy who's going to be like a stalwart middle of your lineup, pencil him into right field every single day kind of guy. I don't, I, that's not it, I don't think. I think I have heard you know that his defense is maybe better than some of the metrics say, I think his defense is going to be better than Edward Olivares' was going to be, but that doesn't necessarily say much, you know. And and I've 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 gone on record as saying I don't think Melendez is as bad of an outfielder as you know he could potentially be. I think I think he could be better once he gets more time practicing outfield play, uh, which I hopefully he's doing this offseason. So we'll see if they end up moving Melendez, if they end up making some sort of move to free up a space in the outfield. I don't think that they have to. I think you could roll with an outfield of like you know, Velasquez, Isbell, Renfro, and then, you know, Melendez and, or maybe, maybe Velasquez DHs or Melendez DHs, you know, something like that. And then Drew Waters can be your fourth outfielder and Isbell and him can rotate in center field. That gives you a lot of outfielders. Honestly, that's five outfielders or what is that? Yeah. Five outfielders. And we haven't even talked about Dyron Blanco or anything yet. Hampson, but Hampson's still there too. And Hampson can also play the outfield. And so they have a lot of flexibility there. If they want to make a trade, they could trade one of those outfielders. But I think it's one of those signings where I'm like, I'm a little bit worried about age decline. I'm a little bit worried about things. But if they utilize him correctly, he could be a valuable piece. They could also get him. He regains some value because they're utilizing him right. And they trade him at the deadline. That's another possibility as well. And so... 
Yeah, and he's the kind of guy that you might be able to trade for a significant piece because if he's showing that power bat again in the first half, those are always in huge demand at the trade deadline. So, you know, power is is not something that's abundant. So it's very nice to to have him, I guess. I just it's it makes me wonder because to me, center field is a bigger need than what what a corner outfield was. And so, you know, I realize the market for center fielders is extremely thin, but it just makes me scratch my head a little bit when you have Melendez, you have Velasquez, you have Drew Waters, who plays mostly right field. What's the plan? It'll be very interesting to see how they uh, start using them in spring training, assuming none of them get dealt before then. Yeah, speaking of getting dealt, the Royals had to deal an outfielder already to make room for Hunter Renfro and that sort of thing. So they ended up dealing Edward Olivares to the Pirates for minor league infielder. I'm going to mispronounce this name, but I'm going to give him my best shot. I think it's Divis Nadal or Divis or something like that. Davis Nadal. Uh, he's a young, low-A player, I think. He's uh, a guy who plays around the diamond a lot. Played a lot of different positions. How, how, well, yeah, he's not as young as maybe you'd hope he, he would be. He's 21 he's a low a player. Low a. 21. <laughs> That's not super young for low A. But uh, a guy who's more of a lottery ticket. They didn't get a ton back or even what I thought they might get back in this Olivares deal. Mike, what are your thoughts on the return for Edward Olivares and sort of the idea of moving him anyway? Yeah, I really thought they could get at least a like a bullpen arm in double A for Edward Olivares. Because he he can produce with the bat, you know when he can produce when you can produce with the bat. I figure there's got to be somebody out there, and he's controllable. He's got two or three years of control left, so I really thought Olivares would at least bring us back somebody we could think about as a bullpen piece in the future. But I'm going to be honest with you, I am looking at looking at the the stats of uh, the guy that we got back for him. I'm, I've already forgotten his name. You just said it. No, uh, let's just call him by his <laughs> last name, Nadal. Nadal. Nadal, I'm not uh, optimistic that we're going to see him at any point. He's a buck fifty second baseman with uh, not a whole lot of offensive ability to speak of right now. So um, we'll see. But I really thought we could get could have gotten a relief prospect for him. Yeah, here's the thing. Uh, you got to hope as a Royals fan that this is a scouting pick that the scouts have noticed something about him that they think that they can work with because on paper Nadal does not look like he is fair value for a major league player of any kind, right? And so the fact that Edward Olivares is a bad defender, you know, that does sink his value a little bit, but he's a major league caliber player. You know, there's no doubt about that. Uh, and so the fact that they could only get Nadal for him says like, okay, maybe they really value Nadal in some way. Maybe they really think, oh, there are tools in there we can really turn into something, but uh, we'll have to see on him. It'll, it'll take time before we uh, end up understanding what Nadal could end up being. Another trade also done to free up room for uh, prospective uh, free agent sign and things like that. John Heasley was traded today for, let's make sure I get this name, this name correct. Uh, 18 year old, uh, what's his name? Cesar Espinal uh, from the Baltimore Orioles. So the Royals traded Heasley for Cesar Espinal. Uh, I believe he pitched in the DSL, the Dominican Summer League last year. He was uh, had like a low three ZRA and 34 innings, you know, a lo- another lottery ticket, but at least this one is very young and, and sort of uh, one of those type of guys you can, I guess, dream on, but not really, you know, you can say like, it's a long shot that he ever makes it, but it's worth it to get something for Jonathan Heasley. Mike, what are your thoughts on the Royals shipping Heasley to Baltimore for a young prospect? Yeah. If this guy ever makes it to major league baseball, you just won the John Heasley trade, mm-hmm. um, you know, 
pretty much. I mean, I, I've been a fan. Of, I was a fan of John Heasley's when he came up, but there were some certain things that he always was going to have to improve if he wanted to stay in Major League Baseball, and we didn't see those things improve. I mean, he never was able to limit the home run. He he was never able to miss enough bats to not have problems. I mean, he, his fastball was never good enough to be in Major League Baseball. It, it just never was. And so, uh, yeah, it, it, hopefully, you know, somebody I saw a t- tweet, I think, or something on threads today where somebody said, now go watch Jonathan Heasley become a, a solid reliever for the Orioles. I, I hope so. I, I hope so for Jonathan Heasley. I hope they figure out something with him that, that they can do and to turn him into a major league reliever, want nothing but wonderful things for him, but it wasn't going to happen here. And I think we kind of all knew that at some point with them making all these signings, he was probably one of the ones to go. And so best of luck to Heasley. And let's hope that uh, we can get something out of the 18 year old relief uh, lottery ticket that we got. Right. And he may be a reliever. He may be a starter. They may even switch. He may become a position player, right? When they're that young, <laughs> There's just so many possibilities, so many things on the table. But of course, that also means the odds of them ever making it to Major League Baseball are very long. But, you know, get what you can for a guy like Heasley, who you were just trying to get off your roster, and they got what they could. And good on JJ. I mentioned on Twitter the other day that JJ seems like he's squeezing every bit of value he can out of these roster transactions, and I love that. There are so many times in the past in the Dayton Moore era where it felt like more left value on the table just to prove to Major League Baseball that he wouldn't take a deal he didn't think was fair, right? And of course, he overvalued all of his own yeah. players, and so no deal was ever fair. I think him. that was it. And so yeah. that, that well, that's sort of the crux of it for me, right? And so every time you see <coughs> J.J. Piccolo getting whatever he can for Jackson Kowar, getting whatever he can for John Heasley, getting whatever he can for all the Edward Olivares and all these different guys— that is the correct – yes, everyone in baseball knows you have to trade them. So take the best offer you can and move on. That way you're not leaking value, just letting guys leave all the time. I, it drove me crazy yep. when Dayton Moore would do it. I'm so glad to see this new regime doing it differently. And I think one of the reasons Dayton Moore often did it was because – he was very heavily involved in the scouting side of things. And so he would kind of fall in love with and be personally connected to a lot of these guys in the minors. And so when you trade your own guy away and you bring in a guy like an 18 year old lottery ticket, you're then kicking out a guy that you drafted a lot of times. There's a finite amount of spots and that means you're letting go long lists of guys that you've drafted and probably spent a year or two developing and I don't think he was ever willing to do that. And so he was more more inclined to just release guys. Um, but it's good. It's I, I agree with you. You know, if you do if you do twenty of these things, nineteen of them aren't going to work out. But the one that does is value is excess value. It's it's house money. Mm-hmm. And and I also think that a big part of it for Moore was like never willing to admit, Hey, maybe we made a mistake on this guy or we weren't able to get as much out of this guy as we thought. And you know, those types of things just were not his deal. He was not ever going to say, Oh, we're going to give up on John Heasley. Oh, we're going to give up on Jackson Coar. Like we can't make them into something successful. That was never in his mind. Right. Like, and so, you know, it's weird to like, I mean, GMs say these sorts of things, like we can make this guy, but you know, they know that that's just the Kool-Aid. It seems like Dayton was like drinking his own Kool-Aid, honestly. Uh, and so like, I find it very, I've always found his, his attitude towards like transactions wholly odd and weird. Like, because you're just letting guys, you know, die on the vine, essentially. Their careers are just going down the tube when they could have been moved to the Orioles and maybe they get something out of them or the Giants or whoever. We had so many guys just languish. Remember how long we did? 
Remember how long we did that with Jake Junis? I mean, yes, we've, they finally, you know, fi- finally sent him to the Giants, or I might have waived him, and they claimed him. I can't remember, but and, and, or no, and, we traded the, him to the Giants. And yeah. the Giants only got like half a season of value out of him, or O'Hearn with the Orioles. They only get like a half a season of value out of guys sometimes. But hey, that's more than we ever got. Him. <laughs> like you know, and so right. it, it makes no sense for me to say like to to, to watch the value that dudes have just sit here and diminish and diminish and diminish as we get nothing for them. So I'm really glad to see JJ go out there and take every little bit of value he can possibly get. And one day, maybe it adds up to something. That's really, really important in my mind. Mike, I want to take a look at this roster as a whole now. And and there are some things I guess we haven't discussed. We didn't discuss Colin Snyder. He was picked up by the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Royals DFA'd him to make room for these, all these new additions. (laughs) Uh, he was uh, picked up by the Diamondbacks, so he's now in a different organization. But uh, I want to talk about the roster as a whole uh, before we uh, before we wrap up here. I want to just sort of run down. Let's let's do like a lineup here. Let's do a lineup. I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to say what, what what you think. If we're looking at the Royals lineup one through nine now, what do you think it looks like going into 2024? Give me your lineup for 2024 at this point. Uh, Michael Garcia probably leads off and plays third. Bobby Wade Jr. Uh, in sec- a second, or not a second, a short, hitting second. Um, third, hmm, I'm probably going to go with Vinny Pasquantino, third. Um, Salvador Perez, fourth. Vinny playing first, and Salvi ca- catching, catching. Yeah. yeah, and then, gosh, hmm, I'm going to go with MJ. Uh, playing left, hitting uh, what is that? Fifth, fifth. Uh, Nelson Nelson Velasquez, DHing, uh, hitting sixth. Michael Massey hitting seventh, playing second. I'm gonna put Drew Waters in center. Center field hitting eighth. Yes, in center. Okay, and then I guess that. Well, no. Let's see. I'm probably putting Waters at nine. And then I'll hit. What do we have left? Even uh, you haven't put anybody in right field yet. Oh, right field. Yeah, but that means that means sorry. Renfro is probably going to go up there at five or six, but he'll be in right. There's my lineup, kind of, <laughs> sort of. That was that was all. Okay, get a little out of order. Oh, I do better if it's not a lineup. If I'm, I'm thinking about positions most of the time. So right, okay, right. Here, okay, here, here, here. okay. And that puts so, Isbell on the bench. That puts uh, that puts uh, Nick Lofton on the bench. That puts Hampson on the bench. Okay. Um, and For then me? starting, well, I guess you could say who, who any anybody of those that rotation. Um, but yeah, that's okay. it. How about My you? Lineup would Anything look different? Basically the same, except Isbell would play center and hit ninth. Um, Renfro would play. I would actually be, it would be some sort of rotation. And so like mine would be basically the exact same, except Isbell would hit or would play uh, center and hit ninth. Uh, yeah. But it's basically the same for me. Um, now the starting rotation, how, how would you order that? I, I don't think that matters all that much. Um, but it's the five but, guys. Everybody's thinking. Yeah. I'd probably rotation, go. Right. Yeah. It's, it's Waka. Okay. It's Lugo. It's Reagan's it's singer. Uh, it's Lyles. Okay. Now the thing that's it's still scary, and it, it's something we mentioned at the beginning of last year. Still not a lot of depth. You know, you've got Zerpa and Bolin 
and Marsh, but I don't know if any of those guys are what you would consider reliable when it comes to, you know, making a spot starter, having to do anything, but those are probably your first three guys up from triple a, if, if you need to start from somebody. So well, not a lot of depth in the that. rotation, but let's talk about that a little bit because one of the benefits I think of all of these starting signings and bullpen signings is it pushes a lot of guys down, down to the bottom of the roster into the bullpen or down into triple a. And so now, you know, let's say Michael Walker goes down for a couple of weeks or Seth Lugo or Brady Singer, whomever, they have Daniel Lynch, they have Angel Zerpa, they have Jonathan Bolin, they have Anthony Veneziano. Now they don't have to put those guys in the rotation right away, right? Like now they can be like, you are an emergency. You are, if somebody gets hurt or something, right? Like, and the fact that those guys have already made starts in Major League Baseball, the fact that they have experience, I think will actually benefit the Royals a little bit. They'll be in AAA working on things. Marsh will be working on things. Zerpa will be working on things. Veneziano and Lynch should be working on things. But in a month, if they need those guys, bring them on up and we'll see, right? Like, I think that's a much better system to count on those guys to be your sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth starters than to count on them to be your three, four, five starters. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I completely agree with that. It's it's set certainly deeper than it was last year, but only by the the uh, the circumstance of a lot of these guys had to start last year because we were so bad in the starting rotation and we were so hurt in the starting rotation. The and I do agree with you, but I think it's you who usually makes the point during the NFL season, or I think it's like college football. It's like, hey, they were a bad offensive line last year that doesn't necessarily automatically make them a good one this year because they've had another year to do it. Sometimes you're just not any good, right? Right. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that about those guys. I think they can all improve. The weird thing to me is Daniel Lynch. Daniel Lynch is probably the person I am most curious to see at the beginning of the spring training because last year there was this article put out by Andy Rogers about what he was doing in the off season. And you came out and were like, that is, I hope he's not doing those things <laughs> because it didn't make any sense. He, he talked about how he wasn't really working on his fastball at all. And it was just, it didn't look like it was a good idea. The whole thing didn't look like it was a good idea. Look, the Royals have given him some sort of terrible plan to work from. And then he comes out and has just an atrocious season. And before the walk signing, I was having a back and forth with one of my followers on threads and he, they, they were like rallying for Lynch to get this starting spot. And I'm not, I'm not against Lynch getting a starting spot if, if we hadn't signed Waka, but I have to see something like you have to show me that you're better than Alec Marsh. You have to show me that you're better than Veneziano or Bolin or Zerpa. Zerpa's had some decent starts in major league baseball. I'm not going to give Daniel Lynch anything because he was drafted higher than these guys. Okay. He, or even because it looks like his numbers are a little bit better in these areas, because I don't know that they necessarily are. And so, yeah, I, I'm not giving Daniel Lynch anything, but I am very curious to see if we can see a noticeable difference in that fastball. If we can see a noticeable difference in that slider or any sort of offering that he's changed or has the picks, pitch mix changed a lot. I'm, I'm very curious to see if we can tell a difference in what he was doing from this off season or not, because if we can't, that's scary. <laughs> well, here's the thing. The days of giving those guys from the 2018 draft class anything that they haven't earned 
Those are over in my mind. Like, there's no reason to do that anymore. There's no reason to give them an opportunity that they haven't wholly earned with performance at this point, right? Now, we know that Daniel Lynch can go to AAA and be serviceable or pretty good as a AAA pitcher. But if I'm not seeing different stuff from him, if I'm not seeing a different arsenal, better pitches, then I'm not bringing him to Major League Baseball until some until he's, until it's a break glass and emergency situation. Like, you have not earned it. You know yet. why? Because if... Because if he doesn't, he's Max Castillo. Right. Let's be honest. And we got a Max Castillo. Max Castillo's are exactly. Dozen. We can get a <laughs> we, thousand. We can get Max, Max Castillo for nothing. No problem, <laughs> right? Like, and so what? What do we care? Like, you know, I, I see a bunch of people out there right now. Like, oh no, forget Lyles. Lynch is going to win that starting spot. We need to be Lynch in the five spot. What has Lynch ever earned? Like, I, Lyles is what he is, and I don't. I don't love him as a, as an option at the fifth spot either. But if you're asking me who do I think has had the better track record, honestly, even though Lyles was worse last year, he's had some better years than Lynch has. Lynch can't stay healthy either. And so there are people out there who talk about Daniel Lynch like he's going to be Cole Reagans. He has not shown that at all. And we don't need to treat him like he has. And so I'm not going to, right? Like I'm going to have a healthy dose of skepticism related to Daniel Lynch. And I'm, I would, no matter what he does in spring training, he, in my mind, he's not making the team out on, on opening day unless there's been an injury or something. Because you need to go to AAA and show me something different against actual hitters and actual competition before I start saying, you're in the rotation, Daniel. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. And so that's the starting rotation. I think that's right. The bullpen should be what? Like Will Smith, uh, Chris Stratton. They'll obviously both have spots. Um, Nick Anderson. I think MacArthur and McMillan both have spots. Who then? Who comes next, Mike? We can say Matt Sauer. I think they're going to give him every opportunity to keep a spot. Yeah, and then yeah I think he's going to be there. I, like the, I, I keep liking the dude with the Dan, last name starts with a V. Atavila? Go. Yeah. I, sorry. Yeah, starts with an A. Atavila. I, I keep liking him. So okay, maybe maybe Antavila. You know, I th- I think they'll want a long guy in the pen, and I think that guy now, might be well. Is Sour that guy? It could be Sours. Sours could be that guy. I think they'll stretch him out like he's that guy. But if not, if they're like, yeah, we're 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 going to try and limit your exposure, they might be like, okay, let's keep uh, Zerpa in the pen. It's because he pitched really well in that sort of swing bulk inning role last year. He actually pitched really well towards the end of mm-hmm. the year in that in that role. And so maybe they go with that. Or maybe they yeah. you know sign Granky or something like that to do that role or something. Um, that's not outside the realm of possibility. Well and I th- um, I think that I think they're still gonna find at least one, probably two in spring training. Minor league guys that they in get get uh, major league invites to spring training. I still think we get at least one, maybe two of those guys. Okay, so is that all you think that they have left to do for the rest of the offseason? Or you think they're making more I, moves? I really do, yeah. Uh, the only the only other move I, I think they might still make, I, I think there could be an MJ Melendez trade still or a possibly a Garcia trade. But I put that at like a less than 10 percent. What about a less Drew than 5 percent? I think there's a chance, chance they would trade Waters before they traded Melendez. I, yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Either, either one. I, I think I think one of those guys that they play in the corner outfield, there's a chance that they still go. Now, what I would like to see is if it's going to be a Melendez or a Waters, I wouldn't mind a package deal where you also put Massey in there and see if you can get um, something healthy back as a minor league starting pitching prospect, because we are so thin still. I mean, I, we just talked about the guys that are going to be that, but they're, they're the guys that are in AAA with some major league experience. What do we have after that guys who are going to be in high a 
like just guys I don't, that I, maybe in double A, but mm, yeah, I don't. I, we need starting pitching help in the minors still in my in my assessment. So I would go out and try and, and get one guy, one guy for Drew Waters and and Michael Massey, or you know, even if it's a guy who's in double A right now, that's fine. I just don't see either of those guys fetching a great return. Honestly, I, I don't think a team see a team being willing to part. Yeah, with and I get that somebody in the upper minors is Melendez. No, I don't think any of them are. And that's why, ultimately, yeah. in my mind, it doesn't make a ton of sense to trade them. Uh, maybe Massey, because I think you can replace him easier in some ways than the other guys. I just don't have as much of a... I don't think his ceiling as a hitter is as high as Melendez or Waters or anything like that. And so, or as a player even, because I think Melendez has the highest ceiling of the three offensively. And I think uh, Waters can play the premium defense position in center, so he doesn't need to have as high of a ceiling offensively. And so... Massey is a guy who, yeah, he plays second base well, but I just don't see a ton of uh, offensive potential on him. And so if they wanted to trade him, I don't think he'd be too tough to replace. And so I'd be fine with that. But ultimately, I don't think they're going to end up trading any of these guys just because they need the depth. They need the, the pieces. And we'll see on the outfield. The outfield looks a little crowded right now, but we'll see on that one. Um I do want to really quickly throw out, we will be back with a, another episode in a couple of weeks, early January sometime. I'm not doing another special episode in between now and then, I promise. But uh, make sure you're following us on all the different social medias. Make sure you're following us uh, as we move into the season because we have a lot of stuff in store, a big announcement coming up here before too long. Uh, so let us know uh, how you're feeling in reviews, comments, like and subscribe and all those things. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. But until then, be good to each other and go Royals. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.